Thank you, worship team. What a privilege and awe to lift up Jesus and worship him. You know, that last song, who the sun sets free, is free indeed. I tell you, I thought, you know, amen, you can clap to that to Jesus. You know, what we could do as a worship time, sometime and stop there and say, tell us what Jesus set you free from. <laughs> I couldn't help but during that time stop and just start worshiping Jesus for all the different ways he set me free. And uh, there's a big difference between when I work hard and try hard and set up all the systems to try to be better and when Jesus himself sets me free. And we're here, we're worse. There's so many people here that know that personally, not just me. And that's why we love the Lord. That's why we're worshiping him. And uh, when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I love what C.S. Lewis says about the sun. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent, and this by the way is in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let none of us come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You know, when people hear the son of God, quite often they get confused about that. And some people, when they hear the son of God, they think of Jesus, uh, much like C.S. Lewis said, he, he's a great prophet, he's a great teacher, he's a very moral man, but he's not God. Others think when they hear him as the son of God, they think that he was the first one ever born so that he did not exist forever as God. And so they feel that Jesus is a created being, but he's not God. Still, there's others that feel that Jesus is a God not the God, an inferior God to the Father, but he's not fully and equal to God. In the book of John, I love the way he said this at the end, C.S. Lewis, that's not an object Jesus left to us. When you read the book of John and you read what Jesus said about himself, you cannot come away with any other option than to say he is God He's fully God and he's fully equal with the Father. And that was one of the purposes why John wrote this book. Remember, we already saw John chapter 20, verse 30. We'll look at that in a few minutes, but not yet. 
But you remember he said he wrote about the miracles, the signs that Jesus did, and these signs were to prove that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Let me give you the Pat Peglo paraphrase of that. These signs were written so that you would know that Jesus was the promised Messiah that the Old Testament talked about that was gonna come to be the king and the savior of all the world, God himself. So today I simply wanna show us this. Jesus is God, Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is equal with the Father. You can't help but come away with that when you look at the book of John. No, I trust you're reading the book of John for yourself. And I've heard many that are, and I'm encouraged about that. And um, as you're reading it, you're going to see this pop over and over and over again. And I love as Jesus says this, he also says, you know, I'm not just saying this. I'm speaking the words the Father told me to say. And he says, if you don't believe me, you're not believing the Father. And so Father God is telling us through the words of Jesus exactly who Jesus is. And you can't help but when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and opens your eyes to see the Son of God for who he is. Your view and your value of Jesus can't help but go through the roof and you can't help but fall down on your knees and worship him. And that's my prayer for today, that we will get a clearer view of Jesus. You know, the scripture says we all see in a mirror dimly. So we, we kind of look at them, we're kind of hey, that's a little fuzzy. I want to make sure I got this right. I'm hoping today that we can see Jesus more clearly in his own words. And that as you do, your view and value of Jesus will go through the rough and that you will fall on your knees and worship him for who he is. Well, I used to pray, I admit it's, it's a poor prayer. I used to pray people get my sermon. God sanctified me in that and said, God, would people get your word? Because my sermon is here to serve the word, not use the word to serve my sermon. You follow me? And if we get God's word right today, then we're gonna see Jesus in a way like we never saw him before. So my prayer today is that we see Jesus clearly through his word and my sermon can help serve us in getting there. So pray with me, with you, because I know us, well, I know Jesus. Be careful because you know the old thing, ignorance breeds contempt. So yeah, yeah, he's just Jesus. Yeah, I know that, I wrote those verses. No, we wanna see him freshly in a way that makes us fall at his feet. Like Thomas has said, my Lord and my God. I love what another professor said in seminary, that familiarity breeds ignorance. You know why that is? Because I turn off, I know that so we don't listen close. He said, I know Jesus is God. I encourage you, listen close today. Because as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, we're gonna see Jesus freshly, I pray, and that uh, we can't help but worship him. Father, I wanna pray that now. I can't pull that off. I wanna confess that in front of you. Pat, at his best, can't pull that off. But Father, I wanna ask you today, that as uh, the psalmist said, open up our eyes to behold wonderful things that we've never seen before. As we come to the text today, I wanna ask you that you would open up our eyes by your Holy Spirit to see Jesus in a clearer and fresher way. And God, would you create in our hearts the response 
of value and worship. So God, I leave that to you. Might you do that for your own glory's sake today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now the way I hope to do this this morning is not like last week. Last week when we talked about the signs, I kind of took you through the book chapter by chapter and showed you how these signs were to prove that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Instead, I'm gonna give you some key ideas and understanding what it means to be the Son of God so that as you read through the text for yourself, you'll get the feel for it. And I wanna start here with the fact that as you read John, you can't help but see that the Jewish people fully understood who Jesus claimed to be when he was the son of God. They knew clearly when he said he was a son, he was claiming to be God himself and to be equal with the father. And the part that we had to put with that, the other side of the coin is guess what? Jesus didn't deny it, he affirmed it. The Jews say, you're saying this? He says, yeah, I am saying that. <laughs> we saw that on Easter Sunday. You're, you're making yourself equal with God? He said, yes, I am. Matter of fact, not only am I equal with God, I do nothing but what God does. I do everything that God does, and I do the same way that God does it. And so we see in this book over and over again, the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he was calling himself the son. And Jesus affirmed, you got it right, and he went on to prove it. So uh, let's start with John chapter five, verses 17 and 18. As you're turning there, Joel Brassfield this week, he knows preaching on the Son of God, he says, you know, Pat Charles Ryrie in his uh, Ryrie study Bible in the notes, when Jesus is, uh, is called the Son of the Most High, Ryrie says this, the Son meant the same as. So in the Jewish mind, you're saying, you're saying you know, when he said he's the son of the most high, you're, you're saying I'm the same as the most high. And so the Jews, we see in John five, uh, this is the story we looked at Easter. Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath and they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing this on the Sabbath. And this was Jesus' response to them persecuting him for doing this on the Sabbath. He says in verse 17 of John five, but he answered them saying, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Now when he calls himself my father, what's he saying? I'm his son. <laughs> you know, the father, my father, I'm the son. And then it, happened, it says this, for this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They raised the stakes from persecuting him because he was breaking the Sabbath to seeking to kill him because he called God his father. And listen to what they said, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's what the Jews, this is what he's doing. He's making himself equal with God. Now turn to John chapter 10. We see this happen again in the Jews' response to Jesus. John 10, verse 30. He starts with this. I and the Father are one. I, I mentioned this early on. I'm not gonna try to go there today, but I said there, there's probably no book in the Bible that helps us understand the Trinity more. We never fully understand the Trinity but to understand that Jesus and the Father are one in their essence, in their Godhood, even though they're three separate persons, one God, 
Jesus right here says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You are making yourself out to be God. Now look down verse 36. Same chapter as Jesus responds to them. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the son of God. Did you, did, do you catch that now? We gotta see here, Jesus is saying that being the son of God and being God are synonymous because notice, they said you're blaspheming for making yourself out to be God. Jesus said, you say I'm blaspheming because I say I'm the son of God. He says it's the same thing. Jesus said, when I'm saying I'm the son of God and you say I make myself out to be God, you're right. And then he goes on and said, if I, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Close up that section about the oneness. I and the father are one. You understand, the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. This is like the coffee and the cream. We've illustrated that before. You pour in the coffee and the cream, you stir them up. You can't separate the cream and the coffee. They're one new entity. Jesus and the Father are one. And the, the Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. And hold on to this thought. Because, you know, as, as, to understand this, we can't. Uh, to reject it, you lose your salvation. <laughs> But to uh, try to understand it, you'll blow your mind apart. But Jesus and the Father won. But guess what we're gonna hear when we go into the upper room? Jesus said, just as the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father, I'm in you. The same concept, the same thing's hard to understand. The oneness of the Father and the Son, that in our relationship with Jesus, we move into a oneness at the core of our being and our spirit, with the Father and the Son. But we'll save that one for when we get to the upper room discourse. But Jesus is saying this, that because I, you're saying I'm blaspheming because call, I'm calling the Son of God, and you say I'm blaspheming because I make myself out to be God. Jesus himself here is saying that to call himself the Son and to call himself God are synonymous with one another. So we see how the Jews understood it. And we see that Jesus agreed with their interpretation of it, went on to further prove it every time. But I wanna show you grammatically, I wanna want show you, well not grammatically, that's been my first point, but I wanna show you this. To be the Christ means you are God. To be the Christ means you are God. Christ and God are equated with each other in Scripture. Now, this is where I want you to turn back to John chapter 20, verse 30. You got to see this. This is the reason he wrote the book. 
And there's a little grammatical thing that happens that is gigantic for us to catch. Now I'm gonna read it, watch closely and see if I read it right. Verse 31 of John 20. But these have been written, speaking of the signs, the miracles of Jesus, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Is that what it says? You guys are meek. I see one head shaking no. Wally, good job. The word and isn't in there. If the word and was in there, we're supposed to believe two things. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the coming King, the Savior of the world, and that he's the Son of God. But there's a comma in there, and the common use of this, if you read it, you'll see it throughout Scripture, the comma indicates this is a further description of the Christ. So he's saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In other words, he's saying that Christ is the Son of God. And we see that throughout the Scripture. And we see that in the Old Testament, that when you understand what the Old Testament says, it tells us that the Christ is going to be God. And so again, my early paraphrase, what, what he's saying here is I've written these things so that you might know that Jesus is the promised Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, was coming to be the King and the Savior of the world, God himself. That's what he's saying here. Now, when you look in the Old Testament, we see the same thing. We see that, uh, I'm gonna put this on the overhead, Zechariah chapter nine. You are familiar with the start of this passage, but I wanna show you a couple other things, Zechariah, to tie this together. Zechariah 9, speaking of what we know as Palm Sunday, you're gonna recognize this story because it's a story about Jesus. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King, your Messiah, your Christ is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we know from the story in the New Testament that Jesus was the one who came into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. He's the king, he's the Messiah. Then the very next verse goes on to say this. Speaking of this king, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion, the rule of his authority as king will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Bottom I say, guess what? The reign of this king who's gonna come on the donkey is gonna be over all the earth. Now you go to Zechariah chapter 14, same author still describing the same king, and he says this, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Did you catch it? <laughs> this king is God himself. In that day, the Lord will be the only one 
and his name, the only one. And then you go down to verse 16 in Zechariah and he says this, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went up against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, comma, the Lord. He's describing who the king is, the Lord. He's not going up to worship the king, here's one being, and the Lord, here's another one. The king is the Lord. And so all the nations are going to go up from year to year to worship the king who happened to come in to Jerusalem on a donkey, we know is Jesus, whose reign's going to be over all the earth. All the earth's going to come to him once a year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booths. To be the Christ is to be God. We saw that last week. We looked at that just briefly. We saw in Isaiah 35. Remember we talked about that the Messiah, uh, the Christ was going to judge all the nations. Well, who's the judge? God's the judge. The Messiah is going to be God. And so we, we know that Jesus has come to be God. I remember years ago, uh, some of you who've been here a long time remember Albert Richmond. Sit right over there, right about where you are, Barbara. And Albert Richmond was an older gentleman, full-blood Jew, been to Hebrew school all his life, raised up here you know, in the United States, but his parents sent him all to the schools to, to learn the language, to learn the theology of Judaism, and fully, deeply embraced in the um, training of the Jewish beliefs. Full-blood, fully trained, fully believing. And somebody invited him to our Easter musical. And back then we used to have a real donkey. And what the person was playing Jesus would sit on that donkey and come in like Palm Sunday. And Albert sitting over here, I remember him telling, he says, Pat, when I saw that guy come in on the donkey, all of a sudden I realized Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah I've been learning about all my life that we're waiting for. And it's just like the God just opened his eyes and he saw like never before. And I remember talking to Albert afterwards. I said, Albert, do Jews like yourself, fully trained, Hebrew school, all the theology, all the everything, do they believe that the Messiah is God himself? He said, absolutely, without a hesitation. They believe that the Messiah is God himself. So that gives us a lot more understanding when you go to Matthew 26. Turn there. This one, you, you got to see it. This is the trial before Caiaphas. Jesus has been arrested and we saw it within just a few hours, six kangaroo courts where he was really given no fair trial at all. But in Matthew 26, he had already met with, I think it was Annas, the father of the high priest. First place they took him. Now he's brought him into the high priest and all the elders and the leaders were there, this whole council of people. So you need to understand, in this room were the most educated Bible students in all of Israel. This was the top of the top. 
This was the group. They gave themselves to studying it. They, they knew the word of God. They memorized the word of God. They understood the word of God. That's always amazed me because you can understand God's word and still miss Jesus, can't you? So be careful, be humble. And so here they are, the best Bible students in the world in one room trying to find an accusation by which they can hang Jesus. And then Caiaphas, because they're trying all this stuff and they're kind of coming up, nothing. All of a sudden Caiaphas says, I'm gonna cut through the chase. And he says this, look at verse 63. Matthew 26. But Jesus kept silent like a lamb before the slaughter. We knew that was part of the prophecy of what he'd fulfill. And the high priest Caiaphas said to him, I adjourn you by the living God under oath now. I'm putting you under oath, Jesus. By the living God, as you witness, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, comma, the Son of God. Are you the Messiah? Are you God himself? And Jesus said, you've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I'm gonna tell you. Hereafter, and he's gonna quote two Old Testament passages that refer to the Messiah as God. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. He's quoting Psalm 110, verse two. We'll come back to that in a second. And coming on the clouds of heaven, he's quoting Daniel 7 there. And so we see two passages here that are being used by Jesus to identify himself as the Christ, God himself. The first one is Psalm 110. Uh, verses one and two. I have that in a PowerPoint up here. And it says this. Ah, here it is. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And I want you to catch the word, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Where's Jesus now? We know he's at the right hand of the Father. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, you got to remember, these are the Old Testament guys, the scholars. They understood the king was going to be God himself. He was going to rule over all the nations. We see this concept again. Well, just a few days before, Jesus confounded the greatest, wisest teachers in Israel regarding this very topic. Turn back to Matthew 22. Matthew 22 will be in verse 41. The Pharisees were gathered together and Jesus asked them, he heard Jesus, I, you, know, you know, when Jesus asks you a question, you know you're in trouble. Jesus asks them a question. What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Savior of all the world? What do you think about him? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. 
He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he David's son? And I love the response here. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did they dare from that day to ask him another question. Jesus going, you know, who is the son of God? He's God's son. He's the same as God. He's God. But the other part of that passage that we read is um, Jesus said, you'll be coming on the clouds of heaven. Turn to Daniel chapter seven. Now in verses nine and 10, there's a vision here. And he says this in in chapter seven, verse nine, he said, I kept looking until the thrones were set up and the ancient of days took a seat. This is the father. The father took his seat. And now he begins to describe the father in his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing out from before him. So here you've got, and you know, the first thing we see here, this is the eternality, the indestructibility of God. He's sitting on a a throne that doesn't just have a little match going on it. It's a blaze in flames. The wheels are flames. There's a river of of fire that is going out from him. God the Father sitting in the midst of the fire and indestructible only being God. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. And then he talks about the judgment of the Antichrist um, that takes place there. But then you go down to verse 13. Of Daniel 7, he said, I kept looking in the night vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. This is the other passage Jesus referred to, to the high priest. Caiaphas knew. When Jesus said what he said, he was referring to Psalm 110, where he said, the Lord said to my Lord, and he's referring to this passage in Daniel 7 that says this. And with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, where did Jesus come? Guess what? He came through the river of fire. Jesus is indestructible. The son of man that this passage is talking about is indestructible, he's eternal. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. This is the king. To the son of man, dominion was given to him, glory was given to him, kingdom. He's the king, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. He's got a kingdom over all the earth. Well, we learned Zechariah, that the one who rode in on the donkey would be the king. That was Jesus and his reign would be over all the earth. And we find out that this king is God himself. What he's seeing here is, is that again, this is a reference that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. His kingdom is an everlasting 
dominion, I'm sorry, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now you understand while at the end of Matthew 26, after Jesus said, yeah, he says, you know, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest then tore his robes and he said, blasphemy. He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witness? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. They knew Jesus was claiming to be God, but they rejected that claim. And instead of bowing to him as God, they put him on a cross and killed him. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the King, who was God himself. The Jews knew he claimed to be the King, God himself, but they rejected that claim. I love what John says there, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the son of God. You know, as you read through John, you're gonna see other references to Jesus as God. We see the miracles he does, things that only God can do. We see that he existed before creation. What's say in John, John 1, 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He had a special relationship with the Father that we read throughout the book. You'll see over and over again where Jesus is talking about his relationship with the Father. He talked about the attributes that he has, only God has. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> Show us the Father, that'll be enough. Well, guess what, guys? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He claimed to be one with God. We saw that earlier on. He said he did nothing but what God did. He did everything that God did, and he did it the same way that God did it in John 5. The great I am passages in John where Jesus says, I am, but the one I love in particular is when they were talking to him, and they say, you're not greater than Abraham, our father, are you? And Jesus said before Abraham, I am. They knew what he was saying. <laughs> Not only did he exist before Abraham, I'm Yahweh, I'm God. And the, what'd they do? Again, they picked up the stones and they wanted to kill him. How about you today? Where are you at with Jesus? Listen to what Romans 10, nine says. If you don't know Jesus, you gotta hear this. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, that's a title for God. It's referring to that as, you know, the names all have meaning and they tell us, give us a window into who God is. This particular name, this title for God indicate that he has authority and the right to rule over all the earth. You saw the king is gonna reign over all the world, right? Jesus, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, he's God. He's, he's God who has the right to rule and to reign. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So I gotta ask you, if you're here today and you've never really seen Jesus as God, how do you see him this morning? Do you see him as a lunatic? This guy's nuts, he's claiming to be God. He's worthy of death, that's what the Jews did. That's the Jews' response, this guy is nuts. He's making himself out to be God, he's just a man. He's a lunatic, we're gonna kill him. Or maybe you think he's a liar. He knew what he's doing, but he was lying the whole time. Or you think he's Lord. Now, as C.S. Lewis said, we only have three options here. Jesus didn't leave us any other options. In fact, he didn't leave us any other option than to recognize that he is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the King. He's the Savior of all the world. He's God himself. That's the only option he left us. Either you can accept it or reject it. To accept it and to bow before Jesus means you have got life and you've got eternal life. But to reject it means you'll spend an eternity in a real place called hell. You realize that Jesus, God, God went to the cross for you and me. And he took my sins and your sins. The pure, holy, innocent God went to the cross and had my sins and yours placed upon him so he could pay the penalty for us. And he rose from the dead that we might have new life. As you read on in Romans, and I'll just read it to you. Romans 10, it says this, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You believe in Jesus, you won't be disappointed. So we're gonna talk about next week what biblical belief means. Don't miss that. For there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will call on the name of God, whoever will call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. I gotta encourage you this morning, if you've been here and you recognize for the first time who Jesus is, and I've never really trusted Jesus for my salvation. Maybe I've been busy trying to be religious and moral and good. Uh, none of that will get you in because we can never be religious, moral, or good enough. <laughs> we all fall short of God's holy, righteous standard. We gotta fall at the feet of Jesus and accept his sacrifice in my behalf and believe he did it for me and thank him and retransfer my trust from anything that's in myself to him and what he did for me. From anything I can do to everything he did do. And when we do that, scripture says we get eternal life. And those of us here today that are believers, I wanna read this to you. Listen to Philippians chapter two. Who although he existed in the form of God, in the form, what's that mean? That means his fundamental, intrinsic, core makeup, his essence was God. Jesus said it, I and the Father are one. So he's saying here, even though he existed in the form of God, this is in the past up in heaven, and by the way, when he came down to earth, we see he continued with that. He existed in the form of God, 
He did not regard equality with God a thing. You know, it isn't like, hey, well, I'm God and I got to have all the rights the Father has. And he, he let go of those things because what he did is he came and he made himself a servant. He emptied himself to take on the form of a servant. He gave up. He emptied himself of his independent use because he did everything in dependence of the Father, of his rights as deity. He gave up the, 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 the momentary glory as it was veiled here on earth and all the rights he had to live in dependence upon the Father. And he emptied himself taking the form, the fundamental, intrinsic, core makeup of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is the one who has ultimate authority over heaven and earth to the glory of God the Father. So I wanna encourage us as believers, would you bow and confess that Jesus not only has authority over all heaven and earth, let's get a little more personal. Would you bow today and say, Jesus, you have the right to have authority over all my life. And maybe there's never been a time where I've done that, where I've bowed before Jesus, you know, I know you're my savior, but I'm kind of running my own life. Maybe this morning's the day you bow before the one who has the right and is in the rightful position because he's God himself and he is the Lord. You don't have to make him Lord, he is Lord. You need to respond to him as Lord. And we do that by bowing before him and acknowledging him as God and his right to rule over every area of my life and every decision I make. And then even more so, after we bow before him and do that, we walk out of here and we live in accordance with it. It's not enough just to bow my knees at church and say, yeah, Jesus. But you know what? That's the beginning of a new aspect of my walk with Jesus where I'm gonna say, Jesus, you're the boss over everything. And I'm gonna check in with you on everything. I'm gonna walk in obedience to you. So I wanna give us a moment. If you're able to bow, as the worship team comes up, I gotta admit, I got a chair I can hang on to, so I'm getting a little help. If I went down on my knees totally, it'd take 10 minutes at the end of the service to get me back up. So I'm gonna cheat a little bit, but I'm gonna bow. And maybe you wanna bow, and let's take just a few moments as Ethan plays for you to declare with your mouth before Jesus that he is Lord. And even more so, that he's Lord over your life and you right now are opening the door for him to invade my life and do whatever you want to do with me because you are my Lord.